Hello, and welcome to the Mark Gross Podcast. I'm so excited this week to be sharing with you my conversation with Mr. Mo Ari. Mo's story of transformation is incredible and inspiring, and you're going to be left inspired as I was. I also gained much more perspective and perhaps understanding about the journey of a human who was wondering about their gender and their sexuality and what does it mean to navigate through that. What I really loved about the conversation with Mo is that Mo tells this story through the lens uh, of a trained therapist. He's the founder of Transcendent Therapy and Consulting. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist where he did his master's at Northwestern and is undergrad in human development, in education and human development. He's also a certified Reiki practitioner. So if that couldn't be a more combination of things that I love, you know, a little woo with a little uh, with a little academia. It's my favorite, that combination. And you're going to hear that in most story and most words in the inspiring way to which Mo shows up. I, I really just can't say enough about the incredible, pure soul this human is. So before we hop into the episode, a little reminder on a way that you could support the podcast is by going and giving it a five-star review and a written review wherever you listen to it and subscribe to it so that you don't miss any episodes. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating. And that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions. Questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, The deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. With that, here is Mo Ari. Well, I feel like this is just another form or maybe anyone who's not religious or religious that this, in a way, the conversations that are expansive and, and expressive or descriptive or witnessing of the human experience are in a way our church, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I'm so That's excited so to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I love how you say that. When I, I daze off sometimes when I'm just with my wife and she'll be like, where are you? And she's come up with the word church for it. She'll be like, are you at church? Because that's usually when my mind is going through the cosmos. I'm thinking about 
being on a planet that's spinning in the galaxy. And she's just like, are you at church? I'm like, yes, that is the perfect way of describing it. These deep connections for like life and why we're here and why we're doing what we do. I love that. Yeah. And we all have, you know, because I think of going to church is often, and I know we're using it sort of as a metaphor now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's often like an escape or a mm. collective identification with spirituality. And, you know, it's interesting when our bodies are in alignment with self-expression or yeah. authentic alignment that like church is sort of available at any time. Like it's, Absolutely. do you know what I'm saying? Does that make Absolutely. sense? I don't know. Absolutely. I love that. Um. I'm like, keep going with that. You said church is available at any time. And that's really resonating with me because it's like you're carrying, it almost does become a metaphor because it's like you're carrying it with you everywhere you go. And it's really the idea of connection, the idea of like safety, the idea of sanctuary, this safety inside of yourself. I think that that's where I am in my journey is finding that kind of home, the church home inside of myself, this home for the seed of my soul, spirituality, who I am and all the things that I'm becoming. Yeah, I love this. I just love that language. Thanks for offering it to me. Well, thanks for participating. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because, you know, I think for, I was going to say regular people, I don't know, but for like, <laughs> for the average listener, you know, we might not be exposed to someone's journey like yours. And, yeah. you know, we don't, because there's a fear of saying the wrong thing or mm -hmm. not understanding it correctly or whatever it might be offending that we don't get to explore someone else's inner world that we yeah. don't understand. And so yeah. when we met, I was just so excited because, yeah. well, one, you're just such a loving, kind soul. And yeah, and it's obvious. It's like so obvious, you know, and the second part you're able to observe your journey through the sort of teachings of therapy and also through the language of soul. So I think that's such a cool merger because often people are either really in the intellectual or really in the spiritual, and there's not this bridge that merges the two. And I feel like you're a bridge in so many ways to wow. so many different experiences. And so I wanted to interview you for one to get that sort of so people could understand that and you're so good at articulating the journey so you know i'm i'm pumped i'm pumped really excited to be here and i'm just floored that you feel all of those things about me so i just am receiving all of that with real gratitude and thank you for amping me up like that <laughs> it's yeah, yeah i'll be a hype guy i can do that no problem. <laughs> well you know before we hit record, you know, I sort of asked, where do we begin? And, yeah. you know, where does one begin when there's, I guess, continuous beginnings? So that's where so do we start? Profound. Absolutely. That's what I was feeling. I didn't know how to start because I'm like, I'm already at the beginning of another thing. And you're starting some other shit. You're like, where do I start at? Which story? <laughs> Which, story? Which story do we start at? I guess is like, where is the previous iteration of Mo? Or where was the beginning? Actually, this is my thought, is where was the beginning of, because you said when we find sanctuary or solace when, within ourselves, yeah. when did you not have that? Or was there a moment that you didn't have that, that now you know you have it? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So the story does start like on the south side of Chicago. I was born in 1991, so I'm a 90s baby. And I was born a little Black girl and I have an identical twin. So a lot of my foundation, I know, was a lot I of my foundation. That. I'm getting new info here, yeah. <laughs> new info. So starting one as a little Black girl, but also as an identical twin in that context, like made it so that most of my life was like set up, I won't say set up for me in like some authoritative way, but just set up for me. Like they had, my parents had dreams for me. They wanted us to not be on the South side of Chicago forever. They wanted us to go get an education and to do all of the little respectable things. And I remember being a little kid while my my sister was like into all the traditionally like feminine things. Uh, and I remember being in the backyard wanting to do like a crip walk or wanting to like learn how to spit off the side of the fence or wanting... <laughs> 
at the store wanting to get boys clothes and having conversations with my dad, like I can wear boys clothes. Like I can do this. And he's like, you could, but no, it wasn't like, absolutely not. We're just so, we're just so against that. It was just like, you could, and you know, but you're going to dress like your sister. I feel like there was so much of my identity that was nestled in having an identical twin that the light bulb kind of went off in grad school. So a long time after that, like 20 something years passes, a light bulb goes off because I'm I'm dating Tiffany, who's now my wife. And I'm like, so something is different about me. That was the first kind of divergent thing I had done from being an identical twin. My sister is very heterosexual. And so at the time, dating someone who's the same gender changed my identity. I cut off my hair, had long hair. I cut off my hair. My sister cried. Like we didn't look alike anymore. Uh, (laughs) It was a big thing, but that was the first time I had to really. Big. Yeah. And that was the first time I realized something is different, but it didn't quite get me to joy. It wasn't Mm. like enough to feel like, yes, this is the thing that I need to change, or this is the thing that is going to help me to feel aligned. I struggle with depression a lot throughout undergrad and grad school. It was really hard for me through grad school. I had a lot of great things to say and I really wanted to be engaged, but I was really struggling and I didn't know why I was struggling. I have some trauma from my childhood that I think was starting to emerge in grad school that then was helping me to really start to go to therapy and work through things that were coming up for me um, around my identity. And I think therapy helped me to figure out who I am. I'm curious, you said, I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is that like, you didn't know what was going on or could sense of it in the mind? Mm. I'm curious if like, was there a voice or were you disconnected from voice within yourself? Or was there a voice that was like, you know what's going on, like you don't want to deal with it. I'm just because I always wonder in my own process where I say I didn't know, there was often like a seed that was like, hey, remember me? So I'm just curious if that was your experience. You're right. You're right. (laughs) This is, I mean, absolutely. I had a knowing, but I wasn't listening to it. Yeah. It was like this nagging around my gender that just kept coming up and I was stuffing it under layers of trauma, like wanting to focus on that, wanting to heal that. And the being like, if you just heal the trauma stuff, you're going to be okay. You're just going to be fine. We don't have to deal with this other thing that's going to make you different. And you're going to have to come out again. We're just not doing that. But it was like a nagging Mm. at me around my gender. Like you don't want to wear dresses. You don't want to, uh, You don't want to only hang out with women, but you keep doing these things because you're worried about acceptance. And that's been ongoing. I think that's been some of the hardest things to like work through is feeling like I have to show up in particular ways, especially in spaces with other Black people, in order to be respectable enough to be an honor to our race as many challenges as we've had in society. I didn't want to be another person that was making everybody look bad. I wanted to be my ancestors' wildest dreams. And I didn't know how to do that as a trans person. So that there was this nagging inside of me that was like, you got to do this and be authentic and figure out how to do it. But I still think I'm on that journey of authenticity where I don't feel like I need to perform. I still feel like I need to perform sometimes and I want to let go of that. Well, I think of just hearing your journey, not knowing you had an identical twin, because when I think about, you know, my partner has an identical twin. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I've observed and heard their experience about differentiation, like how challenging that is alone. So, you know, that they were dressed up the same and, you know, because parents love to dress identical twins up the same. Absolutely. And yeah, so I could just, I can only imagine how challenging that was because there's the pressure of that of like you guys being similar and then also you have this the authentic voice that says i want to wear boys clothes and you know your father obviously with no ill intention being like yeah and you're not going to you're gonna wear (laughs) but knowing how like just small moments like that quell the voice, turn down the Mm self-expression. So did you, because before you started dating Tiffany and before you came out as, did you come out as bisexual or 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I definitely didn't pick in a binary. Pick, like, yeah. Yeah. Was that a fear of picking something like leaving the gap? Yeah. You know, leaving the gap. So it was like an easier transition. Yeah. I didn't know how to explain the life I had been living or how to explain where I was going. So I was just like, we're mm. just, I don't even know if I was like, hey, I'm bisexual. I was like, hey, I'm dating Tiffany. <laughs> it was more <laughs> yeah. like that. We're like, we won't have the conversation. We'll just insert yeah. Tiffany here. Yeah. <laughs> so in that, did you previously to coming out with, as, with Tiffany as a partner, did mm -hmm. you sort of through your childhood, double down on being a girl as opposed to allowing absolutely, that? Absolutely double down. I mean, I was extremely high femme in expression. And in some ways, I would say being an identical twin, I got a lot of validation for that. So it made it like, yes, you are doing what you are doing, what you're supposed to be doing. It was this constant reinforcement of Everybody else thinks this is the best thing for you. Everybody uh, else thinks you're amazing. You look amazing. People would be like, you should model. You should do. So it was the kind of validation that really cemented the identity. Like, this is what you should be doing. And really took experiencing depression to be like, well, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, why don't I feel good? Mm. And that launched me into really starting some self-discovery. So that was the moment where it was that curiosity of, I think there's more to life. I'm mm -hmm. living, I'm living everything as I'm supposed to. And I should be exceedingly happy because everyone around yeah. me is impressed yeah. with my life. Yeah. Why am I not? Hmm. Yes, absolutely. You got it. How old say, were you when that happened? I would say I was probably 23. And I remember my wow. 23rd year being like the best year of my life. Like just, parties on the weekend and looking the best I've ever looked, being in shape and finally being grown and having a little money and still coming home from all of that and feeling misaligned. So what was like, what was the first night that you sort of started to turn the car or the story or mm -hmm. you finally acknowledged this gap between your expression and your soul? Like, what was that turning where you finally turned towards, I guess? Mm, that's a great question. There are so many nights that make up that tapestry of like what turned the dial for me. I guess the Versus one that really. Ones, yeah. yeah, so many significant ones. The one that stands out to me the most is cutting my hair. That happened in an evening, actually. And it was very spur of the moment. But. It was something about how hair was so tied to this identity or being feminine or just my identity as a twin that I just really wanted to be done with. It was like a severing. And I didn't know it was going to cause my sister that much pain in the moment that I was doing it. I just was like, I am just not doing this anymore. But that was such a huge moment for me. It ended up being a very painful one for her really started me in that direction of like starting to really listen to what it was that I wanted. It was the first really individual thing I had done. She went to Northwestern with me. We lived together wow. in grad school. We really, really had lived some separate lives, but we really hadn't separated that much. And so that was the first time I had allowed myself to do something different. Well, and to think how differentiating that was, like how yeah. it almost sounds to me like a like a reclamation of coming home, like it's like mm -hmm. I'm doing this. And yeah. it's interesting how so many of our reclamations are often I don't want to say at the cost, but like mm -hmm. impact other people's feelings. And it's almost like the soul is saying that you have to sit through that because that's not about you. That's about yeah. there's a performative expectation that's in this relationship or whatever relationships that keep both of us safe, that keep yeah. both of us sort of insulated from criticism, reality, you know, whatever it might be. Mm, what an act that must have been. And did you do it with her, like in front of her? No, I did not take uh, her so with you, me. I came home and her reaction, we were living together at the time. I came home and her reaction was like, it'll take some getting used to. And I was like devastated. I wanted her to love it so much. And mm -hmm. at the time, I didn't know 
I wasn't aware of how much my changing parts of myself or how I looked on the outside was going to impact other people. So even in my process of transitioning, even getting surgery, I mean, people had varied responses. It wasn't that people were unsupportive. They just, they reported needing more time. I said reported like I'm a scientist. Like they just did. <laughs> like, it was a study. Like, <laughs> it was right? a study though, in a lot of ways. Totally. Because I was not expecting people to say, I need more time. I needed you to tell me this sooner. Like, why did you not like, why didn't you invite me into that process? And so that's something mm -hmm. else I learned along the way is that I kind of kept shutting people out of me in process. I wanted to show up to people when I had done the things, I transitioned, I was like, Mo. And they were like, no, let me in. So even in cutting my hair, I didn't invite my sister to go with me to hair cuttery and hold my hand. I was like, I'm just doing this and was like, accept me, even though I didn't invite mm -hmm. her into that journey with me. And so that's something else that I've been learning is that it's okay to invite people into the journey. Did you find like when in not inviting her to join you in getting your hair cut, did you, what was your fear that if you did, like if you said, hey, I'm going to cut my hair, I'm going to go do this thing. I want you to be along there with me. What was your fear? That she was going to talk me out of it, that she wasn't going to mm. support me, that she wouldn't accept me for who I am. I think that that was the underlying fear. Such a beautiful acknowledgement and vulnerability. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking and creating space. Well, to me, everything you're speaking of, I feel like, you know, we all struggle with this. If I am me, then mm -hmm. people who love me for who I present as mm -hmm. will maybe not accept this different version of me in whatever capacity that is. And, you know, it's I think what's interesting about that is like if I just have a different belief or a boundary or I'm going to start to use my voice, that's already confronting. But you're yeah. not just doing that. You're, yeah. as you said, you're sort of like layering all these different intersections Mm -hmm. That now you, you have to have to, is it even the wrong word? But it's like, as you're, you're sort of processing it internally and then presenting it. And then, you know, it's interesting to hear someone say, I need, I need more time. Mm. And you're like, shit, do you know how much time I've needed? You know, yeah. the, like now I'm going to come to you with this most vulnerable, here's yeah. my soul when you finally stepped, were stepping into these mm -hmm. expansive different forms of expression and you presented yeah. to them to the closest people in your life. Yeah. And they said, I need more time. They said, this doesn't sit right with me or whatever it might be. How did you keep going? Like, how did you, you know, like that's because you're like facing now, do they love me as yeah. your, I love me is being created so, yeah, I'm curious. Mark, it was hard. <laughs> I just I couldn't even imagine. It was so hard. I'm just really thinking about and really flooded with those memories right now of people saying testosterone is going to make you aggressive and mean or it makes people like angry and violent. And I remember witnessing maybe not my family members, but outside people, I was already interfacing with that a lot. Like I went from being the high femme person who everybody wanted to be on the elevator with to people now suddenly being like, they either don't want to get on the elevator or they're taking out mace and some other utility knife wow. when on the elevator with them. It was such a weird flip. So then to experience that from my family members, these really prejudice the things against like masculine people. I get why those things are there, but just the idea that the people who should see me or who I expected to see me were like, you're going to be aggressive and violent now. It's like, you don't who I am. You don't see me. And so it just felt very, very, I'll say it was hard. So your question was like, how did I keep going? It's almost like that little bit of adversity pushed me along. And so as much as I was hurt by that, it's like, that gave me the kind of fight I needed. 
in order to really be able to face the outside world. Because I've had people come and pull me out of bathrooms when I was in the middle of transitioning because I didn't know where I should go. It was really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I've been in men's bathrooms and someone comes like, you're not supposed to be in here. And I've been in women's bathrooms in the middle of transitioning and somebody comes and is like, you're not supposed to be in here. Um, And so there have Mm -hmm. been a lot of challenging moments that I think the family stuff kind of prepared me for. So while it really hurt, it was almost like it gave me the ammo to keep trying to be my authentic self. It was like the motivation I needed or or maybe I'm just very honorary, like very rebellious. So somebody pushing me in that way, like, I don't know, you're going to be violent, was like, okay, I'll show you who I really am. And that started this quest probably around authenticity. So there's a couple pieces in there that I'm curious about. The first one is it's fascinating how there was so much association with violence and masculinity being that if you became masculine, then you would become dangerous in some sense or like a threat or not trustworthy. Was that your experience with mostly your family or friends that were close from growing up as opposed to like your college or Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Like curious where that might've come from, because I think that is interesting how we relate to masculinity in general is Mm -hmm. that it's toxic and it's a bad thing that testosterone makes people violent as opposed to trauma, you know, survival and aggression is different than anger. You know, all these misconceptions we have that we just associate with testosterone and masculinity as opposed to trauma and a lack of integration and maturity. Yeah, I think your question is a really good one. I would say both, that it came from both places, but I would say those personal relationships, I think, impacted me the most. So I think that's where my memory kind of rests. It rests a lot in those personal relationships where I went from having like all female friends, mostly like a lot of women friends. And then uh, we and women relate in such intimate and like very physical and sensual ways. And so as soon as I started transitioning, I noticed a real change in how people wanted to interact with me, even conversations that came up that were pretty uncomfortable, but necessary around like how people started to receive those kinds of like that kind of intimacy differently. And so it then I think some people even put their boundary, like, you know, only have this kind of intimacy with women. (laughs) So period. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, those moments really, they really shifted how I started to see myself in the world. And again, started me on this journey around authenticity because I was like, well, if these people don't accept me for who I am, then I have to find like what community is for me or create that really and create authenticity for me. And so if that's intimate and sensual and like really present in these ways that I've always been, I wanted to stay that way. It must have been so interesting to explore because I think for people who are in a heteronormative box or just a gender box, that when someone transitions, it really threatens our own inflexibility and fluidity. You know what I mean? Like when I've been in a man box and someone's been in a box that's called woman, that as soon as someone transitions, it means that there has to be this large grayscale, that there's some imaginary line between gender, you know, and, and identity. And so because we don't really leave a lot of flexibility for men to Mm self-express in that Mm -hmm. sort of fluid space and maybe a little more acceptance on some level for women to sort of dance in that fluid space. But being mindful, of course, there's challenges there. That must have been so challenging, interesting from your lens, especially because you're also doing training in marriage and family therapy. So you have all this language and this this, these curiosities, you have Dr. Alexander Solomon, you know, in your life and she makes all of us sort of richer and and think differently. (laughs) And what was that like? Cause you said, I went from being on an elevator that people wanted to be on an elevator with me to being on an elevator and observing the threat response. Mm -hmm. What was that like to just navigate and see the world through Mm -hmm. the lens of a man versus a woman? Yeah. I mean, 
challenging, has so much yeah. to be for both sides of that equation now and the in-betweens as well. Like I think so many people don't fall on that binary, but they find themselves having to navigate a binary. And I think that that's where I am and I have been is that people are perceiving me in a way that I don't see myself. And I think that that must happen for everybody. Like everybody is trying to be witnessed for themselves in the world and people are not seeing them how they want to be seen. I think that that's the core of a lot of people's depression. I think that that's at the core of a lot of people's heartache here on earth is wanting to be witnessed just for being you in a way that make that is also in a way that also allows you to still receive love. So Mm -hmm. I'm a person that likes new friends on the elevator. And now all of a sudden, this is not a safe space for me or that other person. That really doesn't feel good. I've built my life on having people who do not know me come into my office and tell me their deepest secrets. So my experience now being with people and they're like close off to me was just, I think it was heartbreaking. If I'm like being very honest, I spent some time really withdrawing from people and being, I call it introverted, but it was more than that. It was not just introversion. It was resisting pain. And so I had to go on a journey as well of allowing myself to really remain open and being with people. And I think that that's where I am now. Of course, my appearance has changed even some more. So I think when I was in a very visibly queer space where people were really struggling, what are they? They don't know how to place me with regard to gender. Then that also led to a little bit more of the aggression from other people from the outside, too, which also was adding to the heartbreak. It's interesting how when people have a hard time putting someone else in a space that makes sense to them, that they project that frustration. Yeah. And because they can't just you know, in psychological world, they call it like a decision heuristic. If I could just put you in this box, then I can make all these judgments that I'm even doing unconsciously. So when I can't do that, or I'm like frustrated with what I'm projecting on you as confusion when I'm really just confused. And so I'm mad that you're confused because now I'm confused as opposed to like really being curious about the process because, yeah, you know, when you speak about some of your friends' experience and your family's experience, and transparency. And, and you were saying that, you know, I made I made a living out of people sitting with me and me holding space for their soul, their authentic secrets that, that ne- needed to find a way to be birthed, even if it's in that office and being held by you for the first time. Did, yeah. did the people that discovered this authentic version of you, did they feel like you had sort of broken their trust or withheld mm-hmm. or like, I'm going to use this word delicately, but that that in some way they felt like you were fraudulent with them. And so now they're going to hold back from sharing. You know, it's interesting because in therapy space, I found I found a lot that my clients, they wait for these small disclosures. So anytime that they can find something new about you, they're like eating it up. So actually, this was one of the things with my clients that except that I'm going to give a caveat because there were a few people, but in the majority of the time. They really were like, yes, this is a disclosure about Mo, because in traditional psychotherapy space, you don't get to learn a lot about your therapist. Mm -hmm. Although I think I tell people a little bit more about me than most ended up being one of those disclosures that was like, yes, like I know something about you. This is great. Now, in other instances, though, I would say where I might have been doing work around trauma, gender becomes very, very important in that work. And I've definitely had people who could no longer work with me or didn't want to continue working with me because they didn't want to work with a male therapist. And it was very, very hard for them to see beyond that. So I would say very rarely did that happen, but it did happen. But for the majority of the time, people were really happy to witness me in the process of transition. Yeah, it must have been for the people who are also undergoing their own transition in your office to witness you courageously walking that path is so inspiring. You know, it's so inspiring. Yeah, because it's your, you know, when I think about that, you're sort of facing the ultimate courageous act of authenticity over belonging. So, wow. 
you know, and, and isn't that. that what we're all struggling with is like, will I be yes. authentic at the possibility of exile? And here you are walking and speaking that sort of giving people updates a little, you know, a couple pages behind, of course, because not everyone has the right to our process, you know, not everyone yeah. has the right to it. So what a beautiful thing. And so you were in full-time practice as you were going through this or were you still Absolutely. I was, I was. Wow. Yeah. What a cool. I mean, what a beautiful thing to offer people to witness, man, I couldn't believe you were in practice while you were doing that. Like you were really not messing around. You were like doing, you're like, let's just change it all up. Let's just shift it yeah. on. I'm going to do it at the face of all my greatest fears. Absolutely. Well, I had not thought about it like that. I have not been able to articulate it, I should say. That is, ended up being a real gift for me because being in process in front of people is really hard for me. I like to show up like together, having it together. And I needed to learn that there's beauty and imperfection. Like there is something really valuable about being who you are in the present moment and not just focusing on where you're going to be later at some other point. And ended up attracting a lot of clients who also needed to see me be in process. I ended up having a lot of trans clients and I didn't realize there were, I was naive in the beginning of my transition. I didn't realize there were that many people that were like me. I didn't know there were that many trans people in the city of Chicago, but also around the globe until I started doing a lot more research and then really getting into the trans work. And so... I didn't know starting out just being hyper visible as a genderqueer person that I was going to be the representation some people needed to see. And so when people started coming to therapy to work with me specifically around gender, I was like, oh, it matters that I show up mm. process. And that really was a gift to me. Like those clients really helped me more than they know, really just be confident in who I am and to really share what I have to share what I have to share, but share my life with them. What was your name prior to being Mo? My name prior to being Mo was Monique. So it's not Monique. really, <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been a long, a long road from that. Like I would and, say, I just, yeah. And like, what a massive shift. So I'm yeah. curious in that, that transition of name, when did Monique, when did sort of door get closed on the name Monique? And Mo became how you always presented and always introduced yourself. And there was like a full ownership. Yeah, it took a long time. It took a long time. But I would say 2018, I officially legally changed my name, even though I had been using Mo for some at least two years then. So I officially legally changed my name. And then after that, it was that day felt like I had been born again. I was wow. crying in front of this judge. They don't know me from anywhere, but I was just uh -huh. so elated. It felt like my birthday. It felt like a day I won't ever forget that I was getting this new start. And that's what it's felt like since then. So I would say 2018 in May was what solidified that for me. I'm curious what part of you got to rest after that. It was extremely validating. The part of me that felt like I needed some type of officialness or something that was uh, official to say, now you have to respect this thing about me. People really struggle with pronouns. They really struggle yeah. with change and growth. And so I had been being asked by a lot of people to slow down, to respect their process and how long it takes them to get with the program. And so that was a turning point because it just felt like, you know what, I am who I am and I need you to respect that. And and that became kind of a mantra for me. I am who I am from that day forward. And to think that them catching up is more like you're not going to slow down anymore because you spent your life slowing down, like you spent your life stopped and then now, all of a sudden, they're like, your speed's too much for me. And you're like, yes. actually, catch up or don't. Like, fall away mm -hmm. or keep up or don't or take your time. But I'll still yes. be here being Mo. I'll still be here being Mo. And that, I had to learn that, too. I think you're perfectly articulating what I was feeling. But I didn't feel like at the time that I could say that out loud. So I really struggled yeah. with 
holding that particular boundary of honoring myself. I think you you labeled it perfectly, the authenticity versus belonging dynamic. I was really struggling with that. What mattered to you more than all of those fears? Because there was something that kept you going, like a guiding light, a, like something that said in the face of all this adversity, in the face of all of this, there was like a flame that said, this matters more to me than being externally loved or validated. Yeah. There is a real euphoria that happens when you are following your truth, when you're following your highest good. I, I know you know that feeling. It's almost yeah. it almost is bigger than joy. And that, I think, was the guiding light for me, that feeling that I had. And I'm feeling emotional right now talking about it. That feeling I had at court that day was just so different. The feeling I had when I looked at myself after top surgery were feelings that I hadn't felt again until I got married or I was with, um, until Nova was born. So there are these very specific instances in my life that I can look to and say, that is life. If I were to sum up life, it is that particular feeling that I'm talking about. I'm labeling it euphoria. And some people might call it even nirvana. It didn't even have to be a meditative mm. space. It was this recognition of self and an act of unconditional self-love, even in the face of belonging in the or not belonging. I was just going to do what was right for me. That was just something I had not ever done before. I didn't know how to describe it. Uh, it's really hard to articulate, but it was almost a euphoria. That nirvana, that euphoria, yeah. I think of it is, as this moment where we feel the what alignment can bring, where belonging to self matters more than belonging to other. And when we see yeah. evidence of that, you know, even I know you're talking about your wedding and then the birth of your child, that there's yeah. this, like, yeah, I think you said unconditional love. Like there's an, yeah. there's, there's no condition attached to these celebrations, to these moments. Yeah. And gosh, what a thing to get to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was no condition. So even when I think about right after my surgery and the pictures I sent to my family, I even look at them now a lot of times I don't like to look at old pictures of myself, but those particular pictures, I was just so happy. I could still feel the relief I felt in my heart. It was like a burden had been lifted, lifted, like literally like I lost like 20 pounds, but like emotionally, it was just this huge weight that was gone. I wasn't hiding myself. I was spending so much time trying to bind and not be made visible in a way. Because in our society, people will look at your chest and then pronoun you. They do not care if you have a beard. Yeah. It does not matter. Um, so I really felt visible in a way that felt good. It was like, look at me. And so when I look at those pictures now, I'm like, I don't care how your face has changed. You were like doing <laughs> the thing. And so I'm grateful for those moments even now. So for people listening who might not understand that the surgery, it, you call it a top surgery. Is that right? Yeah, top surgery. And can you explain to people what that is? And, yeah, and absolutely. I mean, yeah. yeah. So for trans people, top surgery is anything having to do with the chest. So for trans mask people or non-binary people who want to remove breasts, that would be a bilateral mastectomy. But for trans femme people or non-binary people who want to add breasts, that would be a breast augmentation where they'd be adding in implants or increasing the size of their chest. But most people like me who are trans mask are getting bilateral mastectomies to completely remove the fat and the tissue inside of the breast cavity and then having it contoured so it looks more masculine, it's flat. And there are a lot of different procedures. I won't get into the technicalities of that, but just depending on the size of your breast starting out, you have to get a different procedure. And then the rest of the conversion, what is that called? Transitioning, but is there like yeah. a, is there a specific language to it? Yeah, totally. So for everybody, it looks different. For some people, it's literally just going to be top surgery. Some people opt for other kinds of bottom surgeries. So that would be like reconstruction of genitalia or even if 
Yeah. And there are so many different surgeries yeah. to go into for that. Uh, but sometimes it's removing of the reproductive system. Sometimes that's a bottom surgery. So it really depends on the person. And not everybody goes through with bottom surgery. Not everybody gets top surgery. Sometimes transitioning looks like cutting your hair. Sometimes transitioning mm. looks like deepening your voice when you talk. Uh, and, or it looks like taking hormones like testosterone or estrogen or testosterone blockers. Uh depending on how you identify. So that process is just so varied. So with people, like maybe we have someone in our lives who's undergoing some form of transition or some form of identification, curiosity about their own identification, or maybe just telling us they're curious, but they're really in a process of reclamation. How can we best support them? And maybe we should... Start with, if you're someone who's undergoing that process, how do you internally process? And then what do you need from other people? Maybe whatever, wherever we should start, start. Yeah. If you're someone and you're undergoing a process of transition or just curious about what, curious about your gender, I'd say starting with some type of gender processing therapy group, gender process groups are really, really great spaces to not only understand gender better, but you get to think about your gender in relation to other people and community. It's a really great relational way of thinking about gender because that's what we interact with when we go out into the world. So I've led gender process groups and I've been a part of them. I find them really helpful. Then I would say going to a really great therapist that's knowledgeable around trans issues and is really able to sit with you in that particular space around gender. So I would say it's not every therapist, but somebody who can really ask questions about gender. They don't have to be a gender expert to be able to do that. They just have to be open. And then if you're also curious, if you live in a city that has some type of LGBT community center that offers medical resources, sometimes those are the best places to get a lot of information around gender, around transition. And so if you're curious about hormones or anything like that, go ahead and reach out to medical spaces in your community that are really affirming and celebratory. And then you can also follow me on social media and talk to me because I'm a great resource. <laughs> Where did, What is your username so they can find you? Yeah, follow me at loveoutproud on Instagram. That's the best way to find me, loveoutproud. And they can also find you on Mind as well. Oh my gosh, yes. Come talk to me every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So for the people who might have someone in their life who is undergoing that same, you know, similar journey, curiosity, stepping into spaces of figuring out who they are or giving birth to who they are, how do we best support someone going through that? Yeah. Unconditional love. Absolutely. The celebration of the small wins, all of it is going to be devotion to the small. This process takes a lot of time externally and it takes even more time internally. I'm still catching up to how I look on the outside. I Mm. started the pandemic very visibly still in transition. And then a year and a half later, people are kind of getting my pronouns right at every occasion because I've got a little bit more facial hair and things like that. And so I'm still catching up with that. I still expect people to be receiving me in a different way or sometimes being unkind. So I would say celebrating the small wins with those family members. So if they get a little facial hair being like, you look good, Mm -hmm. I undervalued how much women compliment other women until I started transitioning and realized men don't get as many compliments. Men do not (laughs) have the same yes, king or whatever women do. (laughs) I need that kind of hype. Like I love, love, love when people are able to affirm me just as they would anyone else. And so I think celebrating our family members and our community members who are trans and encouraging them to keep celebrating themselves it's, it goes a long way. You never know how saying, I really, really love your hair, like Mark did when I got on here. I'm it's on point. Good it Thank, you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, it feels so good to be seen. It's a part of that witnessing. And I think so many trans people feel very invisible. So when we are able to affirm and celebrate 
it, it really goes a long way. And I think, unfortunately, in this country, it's sometimes, well, I'm saying America, you're in Canada right now, every country, it can mean somebody's life. There are so yeah. such high rates of suicide amongst trans people because of the lack of acceptance and and people really struggle with not being able to belong. And so the more we can celebrate, the more we're helping people live fully. Yeah. You know, I think of when you were saying before that people experiencing your exploration and transition, they were also processing things too, like their relationship yes. to you as a woman, the relationship mm -hmm. to you as Monique, your twin, yes. obviously going through a very large processing. And, you know, I can only speak to this from my own authentic expression that I felt that if people didn't accept what I now was saying, I might be a little more bold with what I was saying so that they mm. couldn't deny it. And mm. I often thought that their struggle meant a lack of accepting of this different version of me as opposed yeah. to, you know, I don't think I had the capacity to hold space for their grief or their yeah. challenge because I was so busy in my own stuff. And again, being mindful that that's totally different than what you've been through and keep going through. But is there a space? Because there's obviously, it is understandable that someone in relationship with someone else going through any form, having new boundaries even, mm -hmm. can feel grief and, and yeah. have their own emotional process. And they're yeah. allowed to have that as long yeah. as it's a safe emotion. So yeah. where is the space for someone who's going through that? Because I don't, you know, it's the person who's navigating the space is probably not the place to go to for support. Is there another space? Well, you know, my hope is that as long as people are respectful and really uh, in relationship in a very co-created way, my hope is that you can have those conversations yeah. because it it really makes the relationship better long term. I'll share that Tiffany while she was like, she got my pronouns right away and she's so loving and immediately was like, yes, I see you. She's me looking how I do now activates things for her around masculinity that were there from her family of origin, had nothing to do with me. Right. But now I'm prancing around activating that stuff. And so it's important that we have those conversations and I want her to talk to me about it because I really want to know how I can help her just as much as I want her to help me to be my my best self. And so I think it's totally appropriate. I love, love, love when people can have those conversations with me around that grief. But I will say at the time, let's say three years ago, I would not have been having it. I would not have been open. I had to learn that lesson along the way that I was still in relationship with people just because I was off doing my thing and growing and learning more and having experiences of euphoria didn't mean that I stopped having a relationship with people. And so they still have their own process and I had to be open to their process. So I would just encourage those family members to still seek outside support so that you can today on language and really come to this family member who's transitioning in, in love and steadfastness to the relationship so that you can come to them and say, hey, I really, really love you. And I love being in a relationship with you. And I just want to make our relationship stronger. And there are some things that I really need your support in understanding so that I can be better in relationship with you. And having conversations like that, I think, open the relationship so much to growth and possibility. I shut a lot of people out because I didn't want to have that conversation because I was so afraid of being vulnerable and that they might reject me. I didn't give them the opportunity to show up. Um, and I just would not want anybody to do that because I missed a lot of amazing connections. I missed a lot of relationships that could have been cheering me along the way. And I could have also messed up my relationship with Tiffany. She's like stuck with me, but it's been challenging. Only imagine what it had to be like for her to watch me shut down sometimes and not want to talk about what was going on. And she's just working from being a supportive ally. So she's, she's taking it. But I, I have to apologize for that. And some of these mm. things are coming to my awareness now. We'll have to have a conversation once I'm done here. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so true? After I, I probably have to go have some too now. Yeah. The, I think in any transition, 
again, being mindful transition in your experience versus transition in mine, totally different. Yeah. That there is this space of fear that you spoke to earlier that if I, if I engage you in this process or invite you into this process, then I might self abandon. Mm. And because I may, and I'm speaking about myself, that if I was a people pleaser before or used to dance in a way to get celebrated for whatever it was, that I'm afraid that if I engage with you, I might go back to dancing for you. And Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. this really, you know, I think of, I was listening to Ram Dass recently and he said, whenever we go through these really painful, whatever they might be, moments that a part of us dies and the part of us that dies is the part of us that couldn't hold it. And I thought that was an interesting perspective to think that the grief is actually the mortality of the inability that we are now expanded. So there's a part of us that was not as expanded that is gone. And we sort of see the world through this new expanded version of us. So we grieve what we didn't feel fully before, Mm. you know? Absolutely. Yes. That is... I just feel like that completely sums up what I'm feeling. I love your ability to articulate the stuff that I'm feeling, like saying it out loud. And you just sit with people in such a profound way. But yeah, that's been my experience is that there was just real grief. I think I've I've named it that, but I have not named it that. Like this process of transitioning. And I think it can be very similar, by the way, to all other kinds of transitions bring about a lot of loss that we have to sit with. And for me, it was sitting with the parts of me that couldn't go on, that couldn't be with me in the next parts of my journey. And I had to even written a lot of poetry, kind of like laying Monique to rest, saying farewell to this part of me that's like been my friend in so many different ways, eulogizing her, honoring that kind of legacy, but also saying, you know, I don't need this part anymore. And that was my, took a long time. I would say it took like four years, four or five years to really be even able to say Monique in a conversation without kind of like tensing up. So it does become almost like a, it can become a ghost that's haunting you if you don't really process the grief. And and now I feel like Monique is an ancestor, somebody that is like really with me as like a spirit guide or watching over me as I continue on the story. That's so beautiful to think of the way in which she has contributed to who you are. She was necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. You said the very beginning that you wanted to honor your lineage. You're speaking of as a black person and all the family that has come in yeah. To think that actually honoring the lineage is authentic self-expression that, I mean, to know that what is honoring it, if it doesn't, if you don't fit in the box of what traditional honoring is, who even knows what that even means. But the fact that yeah. what you're doing is doing that, I just I have to acknowledge you because you, wow. You live so out loud and you give words and articulate. As I said before, you're a bridge. And thank you for being a bridge. Thank you for saying yes to this conversation. And, you know, I I wanted to speak for myself, but I also think, you know, people listen to this podcast, you the listener, because we're curious about someone else's journey and their experience so that one, we can learn from it, but that I can sit down with unconditional love because I've I've been able to understand your perspective and it just broadens mine. So I'm so grateful that you came into my life through Dr. Selma knows everybody and everybody Dr. Selma knows is amazing. So when she did the introduction and you told me a bit about your life, I just thought I can't not have this conversation. Like it's so important. So thank you for being courageous. Thank you to Monique for walking this journey and and passing it off to Mo and Mo taking the baton and just so grateful for you and in your words. Wow. Thank you so much. I mean, I just feel very, very honored to have had this conversation and it really helps me a lot to in my own like liberation. I really feel like that's what my ancestors want is that freedom of expression you're Mm. talking about. It helps me so much to really 
get to offer that in my experience and offer that to other people by having these kinds of conversations where I share my story, where I share the things that I've been through, but also that I like just mirror back to other people what they're also doing. I think whenever you meet someone and they resonate with you, it's because there's a part of you that's also doing that. So haven't heard your story full out, but I'm guessing that we have some similarities in the things that we have overcome and the things that we're going to do in the world. I appreciate that. Yeah, there's, I feel like there's so much, all of us are sort of trying to figure out how do you give birth to you in a world that needs us to be different or needs us to be quiet or needs us to look a certain way or be a certain way. And, you know, it's to face what human evolution has said, belong before you express. And now we're saying express and you will belong, which is a real mind fuck, you know, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. a real... Ah. It really is. And I'm really learning that from you and the platforms that you've like allowed me to part- like participate in. I'm really learning that from a lot of people like Alexandra Solomon and others just by allowing myself to connect with others and taking in their stories. I'm getting more and more of that that express and you will belong. I would say I'm right there with everybody else who's listening on that journey of Same. expressing same. Well, thank you for sharing your story. So thank you. we know that so they can find you on Instagram. Just give them all the places so that, you know, they they can go track you down. Yeah. OK. Find me on Instagram at love out proud. And then you can go to love is transcendent dot com. And that's my website. And you'll be able to access all the links where you can find me. And I look forward to hearing from you all. Yeah. And if you want to download mine, you can just go to download mind, M-I-N-E-D.com. Mo, thank you yeah. so much for being here. Much love. Thank you for having me. 